This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. On the record with White House correspondent April Ryan. I talked with activist and writer Sean King, who's at the 110th NAACP convention after he talked to the NAACP's young conventioneers about activism. We talked about issues of police-involved abuses and what next. The young people in the room, you know, one of the things that I try to encourage them to even begin seeing themselves, like, those young people aren't the leaders of tomorrow. Those young people are on the front lines today. Today, right now. They are, they are organizing in their high schools, in their cities, on their college campuses right now. And I just wanted them to understand that I'm, I'm 39, I'm old enough to be some of their, you know, some of their parents that I see them as today's leaders. And I just want them first to understand that um, elders in the room value them and love them and respect them. And, um, and that we know that they are often experiencing this discrimination themselves in cities and counties that never get the coverage, be it not just police violence, but racial injustice all over the country. And so part of what I wanted to communicate to them is that we see them, we hear them, we understand them. And, um, you know, part of what I tried to tell several young people in the room is I had even, not just from the mic, but just speaking to them one on one, is that there's value in organizing yourselves to fight back. That there might be times where we're fighting against police brutality and our hope is to get an arrest or conviction or to get some type of justice. I just want them to understand that there are victories that they can have along the way. That organizing yourself is a victory. That understanding your agency and your power and your voice is a, is a victory itself. And that we might not always get and accomplish the goals that it is that, that we're fighting for, but there can be some wins along the way. Um, some of it is just them understanding that there's nobody they need to be waiting for. Like, it's, it's, on, it's on all of us, it's on them. And um, part of what we're also hoping to communicate to young people is just the power of collaboration. On our panel today, mm -hmm. it wasn't just a black panel, we had um, uh, a brilliant young Latina leader, uh, Christian Sensoon. And this generation is more intersectional than my generation was, of young people are saying, hey, we have more common problems than we understand that cross racial, uh, generational, national boundaries. And so young people are finding smart ways to 
to get over the things that divided us previously. So that's interesting. I mean, you said so much there, and I can pick out a lot of things out of that. But going back to the moment, they are the leaders of today, these young people. I think about Ferguson. You were part of Black Lives Matter. I think about Ferguson. I think about so many places where they were able to get a seat at the table. But a lot of times they didn't want to go back with Jesse Jackson and talk to him or with Al Sharpton because they thought that was yesterday. And there's something to be learned, if I'm correct, from history. And do you believe that there will be or there needs to be a coming together of the elders and the young people of today because some things weren't there, like leveraging. They got to the table, but sometimes they weren't able to leverage. Well, I'll tell you, and, and let me defend young people, not just in Ferguson, but around the country. A lot of times, and I, I, I revere Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton as a hero of mine still, and he does, they both do work that I think a lot of people don't quite understand the value of, of the work that they do. And have but, done. Yeah, and have done and continue to do. But a lot of young people today, including in Ferguson, were rejected by churches, mm -hmm. rejected by establishment politicians. And so by the time Reverend Al Sharpton or Jesse Jackson or someone else showed up, these young people had already been rejected by so many other people that they had put up a barrier that made it very difficult for them to, to trust elders, not because they don't trust elders, but because they have been rejected by so many elders. And I've seen this in, I've seen it in Baltimore, I've seen it in New York, I've seen it in Los Angeles. And I'm from uh, Baltimore, I know what you're talking about. And, and so a lot of our young people, for instance, they didn't grow up in church, they don't, they, they may see themselves in a way that doesn't quite make sense in the church environment. And so in our communities, we have to find ways to bridge the gap between... Reach between, them where they yeah, are. Yeah, to reach them where they are. And, and too, many, too many churches, pastors, and, and politicians have kind of put their nose up at at young people today and it's caused them to put up a bit of a, a barrier there and uh, we have to work on that and that's mm -hmm. I think elders have to own have to own that and mm -hmm. kind of say that's not okay and and maybe someone that's that's in my generation younger younger than Reverend Sharpton and others can be a bridge between like I see myself like I was shocked even all around the country. I'm I'm about to turn 40. I'm often the oldest person in the room. And like you know, I'm I can be a bridge and people from my generation can maybe be a bridge between these two generations. Wow. Now the leverage piece. Are young people equipped when the fight comes to them to be able to leverage to get what they want? Well, sometimes you know, young, young people are learning on the fly what it means to have political power. And that's the brilliance of why we need and value the NAACP. And these conventions. Right. Th yeah. th now, this is the 110th year for the NAACP, which is in and of itself amazing that we still have institutions that have, if you think of all that the NAACP had to survive over 110 years, but the NAACP provides training, support, systems that young people need. And, and, but what happens is 
when young people are reacting to a local story of injustice they may react outside of the structures of the NAACP, the structures of, of, of the Urban League or other organizations that have long history. So we just have to find ways to train, to train our young people, to connect with them, to, to show them how they can use and leverage their power. Mm -hmm. Like I think what we found in 2014, 2015, 2016 is they can build awareness they can, young people forced, not just the phrase Black Lives Matter, but young people forced the crisis of police brutality into the news stream, making it for, the yeah, the lead story in the world for 2014. Mm -hmm. And and many of those young people are now, some of them are working on campaigns. Then they're, that's five years ago. Mm -hmm. So many of them are leaders today and so, uh, you have to also have grace and patience with young people like um, what they may not know today they may know next year two years from now like what happens is we often look at we often look at the whole civil rights movement Let, let's say 1954 to 1969 and we judge this movement on the whole civil rights movement and what I'm saying is we have to we have to give this current movement time. It's growing. It's improving. It, you know, and, and and give them time to learn those lessons and get better. And my last question, um, Eric Garner. Yeah. Uh, no justice. Um, he cried out 11 times, I can't breathe. And you said something so poignant. It wasn't just this administration that failed him. Well, it's easy to um, to lay this last decision, the Justice Department decided they weren't going to prosecute Officer Daniel Pantaleo for civil rights violations for killing Eric Garner. And it's the easy. internal investigation from the NYPD. Well, you know, the the federal government and the Justice Department could have prosecuted him. Yes, they but, could. Have. But the truth is, there are about seven different systems that failed the Garner family. The, the NYPD itself could have done better, should have done better. The mayor of New York should have done better. I was close friends with Eric Garner, the daughter of Eric Garner, and Mayor de Blasio and Governor Cuomo both promised Erica and the family that they would make sure the family got justice, and they didn't do that. The Obama administration and both Eric's mother, wife, and family all talked to me about meetings they had with the Justice Department. Attorney General Eric Holder promised the family that they would make sure the investigation was closed before the Obama administration was over. Loretta Lynch promised that. President Obama himself promised Erica Garner that he would make sure that that case was closed before he left office. And I think the Obama administration made a mistake that millions of people made. They thought Hillary Clinton was going to be elected. And they thought that they were going to pass the baton of the Justice Department to a Hillary Clinton administration. And what happened is the Obama administration Justice Department not only left the case of Eric Garner open to, to even pass, like why would you ever pass that case to the Trump administration? They did that for thousands of cases. They sent letters, for instance, to almost 15,000 people saying they were considering their clemency cases. But I think they thought they were going to be able to pass those clemency cases over to a Hillary Clinton Justice Department. Thousands of people that thought they were going to get justice from Eric Holder, Loretta Lynch, Barack Obama, and others, and they never got it. And so the whole system failed Eric Garner and the Garner family, the Trump administration included. But 
we have to we have to take a step back and say this these weren't just conservatives who failed this family this were democrats and republicans alike who all made promises that they didn't deliver and, and it's painful for them um, if you've seen the videos of eric's surviving daughter and others they're crushed by this and so many people Gwen Carr's mother absolutely his his mother his widow his children his grandchildren they've all they've all been wronged by the entire system and um, it shows us that our problems aren't just about elect Democrats that that doesn't solve all because we had Democrats in power who did nothing for this family so we have to even hold the Democrats we elect we have to hold them accountable as well thank you every day for chronicling our story I mean people think this is just now I mean we heard um, of the Kerner Commission report you know yep. with all of this in the 60s and you know we came to this nation 400 years ago and we've had policing issues since then 400 years this year this is the 400th year of Africans being in this country and um, so that we need to understand that we've been fighting for justice for all 400 years and, and that that fight will continue I'm so glad to work with you. Keep telling our story. Always. Thank you. Thank you so much. With this week's On the Record, I'm AURN White House correspondent April Ryan. Don't forget to subscribe to On the Record on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. On the Record, a product of American Urban Radio Networks. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.